Welcome to the In Between Podcast, the liturgical year for ordinary Christians. Today I'm speaking with my friend Austin Britton. Austin is an ordained Orthodox Presbyterian minister, and he and his wife Becky live in the Denver metro. He's adjunct faculty at Colorado Christian University teaching New Testament, and he is a church planting apprentice in the Anglican Church of North America, Rocky Mountain Diocese. Um, Austin and his wife and I go way, way back to uh, old barista days in the old market in Omaha. So right. if anybody came through Omaha in 2000, maybe just 2000, 98, 99, 2000, we prob- and you stopped at Delise in the old market, we probably made you your coffee or your sandwich. So yes, that's right. It's special to us. It doesn't back. mean anything to anybody else, but very special yeah. to us. Anyway. <laughs> Long so, history in Omaha there. Love yeah, Omaha. We love it. Austin, I wanted to begin our conversation by talking about worship and discipleship from a pastoral point of view and thinking about the liturgical calendar that way. So my friends and I in our previous episodes have talked about the liturgical calendar like in the private worship that you would do at home. But I would love to hear from a pastor's point of view what does the liturgical calendar do that other models of discipleship may not do quite the same way? Yeah, I think, as I think about how the liturgical calendar plays into worship in particular, um, one beautiful thing about it is the readings that come along with it. Uh, So right along with the calendar, you have a lectionary um, in different traditions, and the lectionary provides different uh, pairings of scripture that help focus the service around the themes of uh, the liturgical year. And so uh, right off the bat, I think it's really helpful in worship because it gives focus to the scripture pairings. Uh, the scripture readings in worship aren't just random uh, selections, uh, but they've been paired selectively um, and carefully to orient around a theme. Uh, and then that also can uh, shape then the prayers and the songs and how we come to the table as well. Uh, there's many sides to the communion table. Uh, there's a longing, but there's also celebration and, and joy, of course. And so those different aspects can be brought to the table depending on uh, what time of year it is, liturgically speaking. Um, and then, yeah, I think discipleship, that plays right into discipleship in the sense of, for instance, as a family, we love to just read the lectionary reading and kind of have those be our uh, meditations for the week. And so instead of just having to come up with something in family devotions and, you know, come up with something out of the blue and personal uh, piety, uh, you can go to the time-tested um, you know, lectionary readings of, of the church calendar and allow that to to shape your reading, shape your uh, talks around the dinner table and on from there. So I think it would be helpful to hear a little about your trajectory personally, um, the context you grew up in, and how you found your way to the liturgical calendar as a practice. Yeah, I, I grew up uh, maybe the way a lot of um, evangelicals did in the sense that Kind of on my radar was Christmas and Easter, and, you know, there were different events associated with that, um, but I never really gave much thought to um, their connectedness. I guess what I'm saying is I grew up just 
knowing that there would be a Christmas service and an Easter service, and knew generally what those were about. Um, but I think that a lot of the cultural celebrations of the season um, actually is what controlled my understanding of those days more right. than the church. So as I, you know, kind of discovered uh, more of the meaning uh, behind Christmas and Easter, uh, started finding that those were connected to more things in terms of the calendar, more days, if you will. And um, so that was uh, really interesting because then I said, well, um, where is this found scripturally? And so for a while I struggled with the scriptural piece of feast days and, you know, holidays. Saints days. Um, what's that? Saints days. Where does that yeah, fit? Saints days yeah. and um, the Lent season. I think some of what shaped me was I grew up, you know, I grew up there in Nebraska. I grew up in Gretna, actually. And I was like one of maybe a couple of Protestants in my class. Right. Gretna is a largely Catholic community. And so things like Lent and everything were just really something that the Catholic friends of mine practice, um, but not us, you know. Yeah. Um, Except fish the fries, fish fries. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Omaha, fish fries. All over the place. I right? love it. Yeah, so there was a little bit of an aversion, uh, I think, that uh, surfaced in me towards the calendar because I just kind of associated it with the way my Catholic friends practiced it there in Nebraska. Yeah. Um, and uh, so coming out of that, um, however, I really started discovering in Scripture that there's a calendar that God gave to Israel. And when God you know, took Israel out of Egypt, he actually reoriented time for them. He said, I don't want you to structure your time around agriculture hmm. anymore. Right. But I want you to structure your time around redemption. And so God took Israel out of Egypt and um, gave them a whole new way of, of viewing time. Um, and then as um, kind of the development of my thought went, I also realized that just in natural theology, you know, if you think about the categories of natural theology, revealed theology, uh, Christians believe that God's revealed himself in nature. Um, Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of the Lord. Um, so all over scripture you have these passages that teach that, you know, before there was a Bible, there was creation. That's God's first book, and it's been around a lot longer, actually. And right in nature, you had God saying something by providing seasons. And I mean, there's a liturgical rhythm right to the creation account. Uh, evening and morning was the first day. Evening and morning. There's this rhythm right there from the beginning um, that culminates in the in the Sabbath. And then, um, so I started seeing that in nature and then seeing God revealing to Israel a way of marking time around redemption in Scripture and I think what was really telling, too, is then I saw that carrying over to the New Testament, because I think a lot of uh, good Bible readers can read the Old Testament and say, yeah, but all that stuff was fulfilled in Christ, so we no longer need those kinds of days. But it is interesting, right in 1 Corinthians, um, Paul mentions that you know he's going to uh, come to the church at the time of Pentecost. Um, there's a really interesting passage there right in the New Testament where Paul refers to Pentecost, and obviously the event of Pentecost had already happened, 
the Holy Spirit had already come to the church, hmm. and Paul references it later, uh, which I think is a clear signal that people were marking time around the big events of redemption right in the early church, hmm. which only makes sense if the early church was largely made up of Jewish disciples right. of Jesus who for thousands of years had followed a redemptive calendar. Mm -hmm. And now they were just following out the redemption found in Christ and um, responding to the activity of God in Christ by shaping their time around it. And that's where I think a helpful distinction is between gospel as event and gospel as doctrine. Hmm. I think it's both and, of course. Uh, but I think Protestants, I know myself included, can pay so much attention to the doctrines that arise from the gospel right. more than simply the event of the gospel. You know, the gospel at its essence, it means good news in its essence. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I love about the liturgical calendar is that it forces us to uh, relive, as it were, recount the events of our redemption as events, as mysterious acts of God in Christ, in the fullness of time, and the events then, of course, lead to doctrine, but it's not the other way around. God didn't reveal doctrine first. He did things, yeah. and those verbs have been given rise to nouns mm -hmm. and doctrine. Right. Um, and I think the calendar um, is a response to the events and a way of living into the events of Christ, which is um, awesome. Yeah, I love that. Um, one thing that drew me to the liturgical calendar re more recently, like I've been interested in it and reading about it and following it myself for a long time. But um, one thing that sort of sparked my interest again was the work of James K.A. Smith and um, in the final chapters of Awaiting the King, James K.A. Smith talks a lot about um, the kind of knowledge that we get from engaging things physically. Like he talks about the knowledge, like, you know, the facts of the, you know, your street address, you know, the facts of where you grew up. But when you're a little kid, before you know the street address, you know, the feeling of your neighborhood, you may not be able to say this is my street name, or I'm at this intersection, but you know where you are, like you can feel your town, you can feel your neighborhood, and you know your way around. And he calls, calls that kinetic knowledge. I'm sure others have also talked about kinetic learning and kinetic knowledge. I think doesn't David Foster Wallace talk about that, too? Anyway, he talks, is there ever a Christian conversation that doesn't reference David Foster Wallace in some <laughs> way? Anyway, um, so thinking about introducing my kids to discipleship practices in a way that speaks to them in terms of what they know, but also speaks to the parts of their soul that know things just kinetically. Um, and so, like, I feel like discipleship models from when I was a kid were a lot about understanding content and scripture memory, and I love and affirm that. But there was a huge kinetic knowledge that was also given to me by the sensory experiences associated with church and associated with family devotion times, and that was all 
totally non-liturgical in any conscious way, but was wonderfully shaped by just like the warmth of the the good adults around me. I was surrounded by good adults and loving Sunday school teachers and kindness and beauty. And um, I, I just was thinking like, how do I make sure that we hit those notes in our family too now with my kids? And I would say that's really important whether you're in a household where you're raising kids or not. Like we're still wired that way. You know, we right. see that wiring most clearly in, in kids, but we're all wired that way. That's a human trait. So how do we engage our discipleship in a bodily way, not just in what we know in our intellect, but what we know in our senses. And so coming to the liturgical calendar with this itch for beauty and this itch for sense memory and cultural density that it's not just Black Friday (laughs) or Mm -hmm. Cyber Monday but that we have this season when we slow things down and we um, put these cues in place to give us pause and make us think in certain ways. So I'm just curious. I'm sure you will have things to say about all of that, about kinetic memory and beauty and and the value of that as we think about our our discipleship of our, in, in our humanity, that we're holistic beings. So right. I don't know. I don't yeah. know where the question is in all of that, but please respond. No, I would say something important, I think, to realize, especially for listeners out there who um, aren't familiar with the liturgical calendar or even liturgy in general, I think it's important to affirm that we're always being discipled and discipling others. Um, and so if you're if you're a parent, you're, you're always discipling your children. It's just a matter of what are you doing um, right. to disciple them. And you know, if you're just if you're a single person, you are being discipled by time yeah. and by others, whether yeah. you know it or not. That's right. And so it's not a question of, you know, do I want to disciple my kids or do I want to be discipled? It's how are you being discipled right now? Right. Because you are. Uh huh. Um, and it's important to 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 note that. And I think part of my journey again to the liturgical calendar was, um, I realized just how shaped informed I had been by the culture that I lived in Mm -hmm. rather than by Christ and Mm -hmm. the church and the things I believed in. So then I found a dichotomized self there. I found the self of the church and the self of the culture. And the culture really had more sway because, yeah. It's just everywhere. It's everywhere. So of course it does. Macy's Thanksgiving parade. I mean, it's a parade based on capitalism. Um, and the, the values of the, the culture. Um, so just as I swam in that growing up, I realized that that had formed um, my, my worldview more than I was aware. And then when I yeah, started discovering the liturgical calendar, realized it was such a, a countercultural mode of discipleship, yeah. for sure. And if, if you're thinking about the liturgical calendar uh, and, and you're unfamiliar with it and you're listening, you know, know that you're inviting tension into your life. <laughs> but it's a great tension because you're inviting uh, the tension between the already and the not yet. You're inviting the tension between how the world marks time and how the church has for thousands of years marked time mm-hmm. around redemption. Mm-hmm. And so there is this tension that you will feel as you lean into it, and that's okay. 
you, you, that should be expected. Um, it's always been that way. Um, going all the way back to, you know, Israel, they even named their month differently than the surrounding culture. How odd would that have been, <laughs> you know? Um, what if like you we think your time life? zones are hard to live with. But like exactly. what if you're, the months were just completely called something else? Yeah, I couldn't, I could not handle that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Very <laughs> difficult. And, and so it's, um, it's definitely something that, um, invites tension, but I think it's a great tension because we start to lean in more to our identity in Christ rather than our identity as, you know, Nebraskans or Americans or, or, or whatnot, uh, first and foremost. So the more we lean into our identity in Christ, I think the more the, the calendar helps that uh, because it shapes our view of time around him, what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do. I love that. Um, yeah. So, um, Okay, so Austin, will you talk about how you and Rebecca engage the liturgical calendar at home? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, we start with some teaching about it first and foremost. You know, the liturgical calendar, two, two big parts. It's the story of Jesus and the story of the church. So if you want to live a gospel-centered life, you should live into the calendar because all the calendar is is a gospel-centered view of time. Hmm. Um, so we teach our kids that you know, we follow this calendar because we follow Jesus. Um, and Jesus is at the center of our lives, and so we want Jesus to help us tell time because he made it, and he has the right to tell us how, and um, when we do that, we flourish. So we definitely instruct our kids about what it is. And then, yeah, we just really follow the patterns of um, uh, kind of, the colors that are associated with each season. Uh, we follow the readings in the lectionary. And then um, we definitely try, like you were mentioning, you know, holistic discipleship, body and soul, and that's huge. So, like, um, just as an example, right now for Advent, um, you know, Advent is this season of anticipating the Advent of Christ. And uh, we look back, of course, at his first uh, coming, but we're also in that same position now. Uh, we are waiting for Jesus to return. Right. Um, and right away, that's a profound thing. I, I think so many people in our culture, they're not waiting for anything. They just want to live the best life they can now, and they think that that's it. So Advent already goes against that and says, we actually believe there's something better than here. That's a profound statement that you make with your time if you practice Advent. Um, so in our household, we definitely believe there's something better than what we have now. Amen. Um, so <laughs> Amen. what we did is we, um, we try to do something that um, reflects brokenness. So this is fun. We break things. Um, this year we have... I have never you know, heard of this as an Advent tradition. Is this a Britain family invention or is this part of the tradition that I don't know about? Yeah, you know, I'm not really sure. I think it might be both and... Um, we definitely have known folks that practice it this way, where um, you find something each year that is, you know, breakable, not dangerous, um, but something that you can spare. We have a plethora of ugly coffee mugs oh, this year. Oh, so do I. Yeah. So we decided to, to break some of those. We put it in the center of our dinner table in the middle of our Advent wreath, and it reminds us of the brokenness of the world. Um, it reminds us why we're anticipating Jesus. 
and why we want Jesus to come back. Right. And it just so happens that the the mug that we broke, we actually have a, a good copy of it still in our cabinet. It said we have a plethora. <laughs> so the broken one is going to be with us through Advent, and then when Christmas tide comes, we'll bring out the one that's not broken as a way of helping our children visually associate um, the different themes of the season. Um, Advent is really a time of, of you know preparation, of anticipation, of recognition. Uh, that the world is broken and that Jesus needs to come um, or else the brokenness will remain. That's right. So, um, yeah. And again, that's you're inviting tension when you do that, but I think it's so formative and so healthy for, for children. Uh, especially, I mean, uh, how many people have difficulty around Christmas time due to the loss of a loved one, due to something that happened around the season? Um, and Advent acknowledges that. Advent says yes and amen to, to the world being broken. And so as people, you know, decorate their lights and put all the um, decorations out, we don't. We wait until oh. uh, Christmas. Okay. And um, so it, I, I think it actually is more affirming of the way the world is. Right. Um, and... As people go to the lights, go to the decoration, Advent says we're not there yet. Mm. Uh, we're not there yet. The world is a very bad place. And our kids know it. We know it. It's just a matter if we want to acknowledge it or mm. not. Right. Um, so that's just a small kinetic way of teaching them about brokenness. Like, hey, kids, let's break ugly coffee <laughs> mugs. They love that. They right. have good associations with that. And it's physical. Um they like breaking things, what kid doesn't. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we just have to sit with that for the season until we bring out the, the mug that is, is put together. We, we kind of use the traditional readings and candles and colors as kind of our framework. And then within that framework, find ways to um, embody and to um, live into the themes of each season, mm. if, that, if that's helpful. Yeah, it's really helpful. So there's some of those traditional structures that are absolutely like the umbrella under which we try to develop our own um, traditions. And, uh, yeah, I mean, we'll wear purple to church or whatever the liturgical color mm. is. Um, wear it. Um, you embody that theme then by putting clothes on that helps you remember it, stuff like mm-hmm. that. That's great. Well, I just want to thank you for your time this morning. It's been really cool to talk to you. And I think that your big picture perspective on, um, yeah, what are the motivations and what are the things underneath? What are the historical underpinnings of the calendar? And you just think it's those are really helpful categories for people who are just beginning to engage it and ask about ask themselves like is this a practice that's going to be a fit for me so anyway many thanks and give my greetings to your sweet family and um have a great day absolutely all right yes you too darby thanks, thanks a lot, lot.